Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late to transportation. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. All right, Katie, I'm really excited about this one. Um, this episode is with David Diggs, who you introduced me to. Yeah, no, he's a good buddy and an extremely talented man from the Bay Area. Um, and the brains behind clipping. Yeah, clipping. Clipping. Yeah, an incredible sub-pop um, kind of noise rap group, and they are starting to blow up. Here's um, my interview with David Diggs, which was taped at the Writers Guild because we had so much fun having him on the live show at Joe's Pub that it brought him back. And um, you can see him in Hamilton on Broadway uh, if you can afford it. And I expect they will be on Broadway for a long time as soon as they close. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're going to clean up a lot of um, Tony Awards and all of the other um, awards that you get, including the Employee of the Month Award. They've already started to win those Mm because both Lin-Manuel and David so far. That's actually what I think brought them to Broadway. Yeah. No, it's impossible to get on Broadway these days without an Employee of the Month plaque. Yeah. Well, luckily they got theirs first. So for all you Broadway hopefuls, it is a really wonderful interview to listen to because it was definitely not a typical path. Not that there is one, but this was certainly sort of an incredible journey to get there so quickly. Yeah. He's the man. Okay. Here, we'll stop fawning all over David, not like he doesn't get enough of it. Here's our interview, my interview with David Diggs. I'm here at the Writers Guild with... David Diggs, who I'm really excited. He was just on the live taping, so you'll get to hear him there. But I wanted to have a longer interview with him because it was such a pleasure um, to hear about his experience working at Pier 1. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And it was also really fun to talk a little bit about um, Hamilton. And I just wanted to hear more about his his history. And I used the word his in there uh, on purpose because he's a male. Um, (laughs) Welcome. Thanks. Are you excited? Are you exhausted? You just came off the run at the public and then you're going to Broadway. You get six weeks off? Yeah, yeah, which are almost over. There's like three weeks left, so. How are you standing when you do this six nights a week? Uh, Plus two seven nights a week. Seven nights a week. Yeah, and two episodes. Yeah, eight, right? Six nights a week. Well, six seven. nights a week. There's only seven days in a week. That's what I said. Yeah. You were totally right. Six nights a week, eight shows. Uh, Six nights a week, two sh- so two shows in the afternoon too. Yeah. Wednesday and Saturday. Sometimes, or on or Saturday, Sunday, depending on what they feel like doing to us. Um, it's great though. I mean, the show takes care of itself. Like that, the show has its own sort of built-in energy, and and that's all great. It's like figuring out how to be a person outside of the show. That's like yeah. How do you part. do that? Because it's ex- it seems exhausting, and you also don't have any evenings, basically. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still uh, figuring it out. It's a, it's actually like it seemed like totally normal. We had done it for so long, and then we got this break, and I was all of a sudden like, oh my god, this is what it's like to not have to plan to be somewhere at roughly six thirty every night, right? So. Um, it's nice. It's nice to not schedule your day around the same thing every day. 
but uh, <laughs> I remember when I interviewed Lynn, he said that he had to eat certain foods so that he didn't like burp or yeah. toot on stage. Are there any things you have to? Yeah, I. Um, well, for me, it's more about like proximity to the shit. Like, I try not to eat within like an hour of having to go on stage because I'll just feel gross, you know. Um, Do you drink coffee or no? No, not really. Do you nap? Uh, I nap like a motherfucker. What day. time? Oh, whenever I can. Okay. Like <laughs> at the public, the like I would just they have those red couches all over there. Anyone who's been there, they're all over the place. Yeah. These long red couches that are so comfortable. So I would just if I was done for the day and in the area, I would just go and fall asleep on a red couch, like choose a red couch in the building and sleep on it. I made the mistake um, last week. I snuck into someone else's dressing room, but it's a big dressing room, so they're like, uh, it looks like a rec room. <laughs> and they had all these shows. The Fury and Macbeth were opening, yeah, yeah. and I was trying to sleep. And then Anne Hathaway like walked by, and she was like kissing her boyfriend because I think she's in another she, show there she too. Was, yeah, she just finished Grounded. Grounded. So I had to like great. duck out <laughs> while they're like while they're celebrating these out. openings, and they're making out. And I'm like. No. <laughs> I was just trying to get some peace and quiet in yeah. here. Yeah, I definitely um, snuck into my old dressing room just a couple of days ago. When I was going to see Grounded, I got there early and had just gotten like a, a voiceover audition sent to my phone. So I went and locked myself in a dressing room. And, and did recorded. the audition? Yeah. yeah, I've slept in every nook and cranny in that building. Yeah, it's a great building. Joe's Pub, it's out. Wally Sean was on the show and he said, Joe's Pub, the place that we, we do the live tapings of Employee of the Month. That's where um, Joseph Papp, who founded the theater, that was his old office initially. Yeah, I heard that it, yeah. And that whole side of the building was totally different, right? Because now they have the library bar upstairs, yeah. but apparently that was nothing before. Yeah. People keep asking, like, what, trying to guess what it was before, but apparently it, it did not exist. It, didn't it was exist. The, they built a floor in between. Snuck it in, yeah. and now we're paying the price for it with yeah. $19 mm. waters. Yeah. Delicious um, water. Oh, my God. Whoa. <laughs> Nobody knew that podcasting could be dangerous, but I was sitting in my chair, and I was That was intense. <laughs> it almost went down. Fell over. Um, okay, so you don't eat right before. You nap when you can. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, the rest of the day, do you exercise? Like, what? Did, how do you keep your energy and stamina, particularly for that hour of the day, to be awake and alive. Yeah, I try to exercise as much as I can. Um, do you do a lot of soul cycle? <laughs> I've never done soul cycle. <laughs> I, uh, I have a problem with, um, like, stationary uh, cardio equipment. It bothers me a whole lot to be, like, riding a bike and not moving, you know, or running on a treadmill. These things, yeah. like, really weird me out. So if I'm going to run, I'd go, i just run in the city. Or if I'm going to ride a bike, I'll ride a bike and actually get from point A to point B. Yeah, outdoors and enjoy the, yeah. the world. Which yeah. I guess is it doesn't work so well in the winter over here, but... Uh, it's hard, but you know what? I have a dog, so I do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just curious because you have to... I mean, for everyone, it's like hard to fit in exercise, and it, it tends to be, A, the best form of pain management and yeah. um, also help keep you awake. Like, if you do 10 push-ups, you automatically yeah. <laughs> feel a little more awake. It's true. But um, I was curious particularly because you perform so late at night. Yeah, I'm, I think... Yeah, I try to... If I'm going to have a good workout, I better do it pretty soon after I wake up in the morning, you know, yeah. uh, for me. And I just, I just had to join a new gym. I had found a gym that was right by where I was living in Red Hook. Yeah. Um, 
like right next to the subway stop that I got onto Carroll Street. So I actually had no excuse. I just always had gym clothes in my bag. And if I was, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was very hard to talk myself out of going because I had to walk by it. Um, but now I've moved up to Washington Heights and have had to find new places, but it's good. I really feel very sorry for you, but yeah. you'll find something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so there isn't anything in particular, but the, you just mainly don't eat an hour before. An hour before, yeah, and I, yeah, there's not, uh, I'm trying to think if there's any crazy, like, special thing. Um, Do you meditate? No. <laughs> I don't. I, um, yeah, I think the, the, I listen to a lot of really, like, hyped up music, but I do that generally in my life anyway, even if I'm not, uh, What kinds of music do you listen to in just, addition to your own? Oh, just rap songs. Just, I mean, everything, but mostly rap songs. I'm, like, one of these weirdos who's, like, trolling the internet every other day for, like, new mixtapes and stuff. Um, you should And then be, I buy albums every Tuesday, and that's, you know, I have, like, this... You do? You buy albums every Tuesday? Yeah. How come on Tuesday? Because that's when they come out. That's when new albums come out. Every week. So do you? That's interesting that you buy and you don't use Spotify. I, I have started to also use Spotify because I'm poor, but yeah. and, it, and it helps a lot. I used to be so. I, I mean, I've had this habit for many, many years since I was a, a <laughs> since I was a teenager, um, and I. Uh, so back then, I just lost. So and all growing up, you know, until streaming was a thing, I just. Cause I could, I would buy things. I have, to, I don't know. I have this need to consume music, so I, I would buy things, even though I was pretty sure I wasn't gonna like them. But I like had to hear them, and back then there was no other way to hear them really other than to get them. So I, you know, so I would buy all these albums by artists who I thought were like pretty mediocre. But it was kind of like I don't. I have to know. I don't know. It's like yeah, a I have to know they're mediocre. I just have to <laughs> hear what they're up to. You know, particularly like with rap music. Um, the genre that changes so quickly. Yeah. The um, the like shelf life of a particular style is so fast, and pop music has started working the same way. You know, we used to have all these like it was like two thousand and one, and we had all these like I love the nineties shows on on TV and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like things happen so quick. So if you're making rap music, you really if you want to feel at all connected to what's current, like you have to just listen every week, kind of. You know, like. It, Styles change that quickly. And and you started um, making your own music when you were in middle school? High school. High school. Yeah. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I just... Can we rap about that? (laughs) Oh, shit. Yeah, I was was sort of doing slam poetry, kind of, to the degree that I knew what that was. I think a, a teacher had... This is my freshman year. A teacher had taken us to see Slam Nation, a documentary about the New York Slam team in whatever year that was, '95 or something. And uh, this is when Slam poetry came of age. Yeah, yeah, it was sort of like the 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 renaissance of it, or the I don't know. It was one of the renaissance of it and the beginning of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some might say end. Mm. (laughs) Poetic. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we saw that was the and. Saul Williams was sort of the the featured guy in that thing, and a bunch of us, sort of our brains exploded, and we were like, oh man, we could do that, and we started this Poetry Slam series at Berkeley High School, not having any idea really how a Poetry Slam works. Um, so we were sort of, I was doing that for a while, and then a friend of mine asked me, 
he, he had started making beats and he didn't know any rappers. So he asked me because he knew I was writing poems anyway. And uh, I, had, I had been like a rap fiend for a long time, but had never really sat down and written my own. So I said I would try it. And as soon as I did it, as soon as I like decided to write a song, it was just so I was so much better at that. <laughs> then, but I love that that you found your niche. Like, there's no way that writing poetry and doing slam poetry couldn't have helped you. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was all good. Yeah, yeah. And then must have been ridiculously exciting and orgasmic to find rap. Totally. Well, yeah. I mean, it was. Um, I may be putting words into your mouth. No, orgasmic's the right word. Uh, it was. I was a teenager. Everything was orgasmic. <laughs> but it. Uh, yeah. I think because it was a, a culture that I was so connected to anyway, you know, I was already listening to it. It wasn't sort of the, the culture of poetry is not one that I had sort of grown up with around me. It was a thing that I found and like wanted to be part of. Your dad, what was he like? Uh, he's, he's my hero, man. I, I really like as far back as I can remember, have always wanted to be like my dad. He's sort of the most charismatic um, kind person you will ever meet. It was when I was when I was a kid. Like if I if I was interested in a girl, like the first thing I would do would introduce her to my dad because he was so much more interesting than me. You know, so it was like maybe they will just assume that I'll grow up to be like that. Yeah. <laughs> at some point. Um, Have you? I don't know. I don't know. I'm still trying. I'm still working on it. He's. Um, He's kind of the best storyteller in the world, you know. He just and he can walk into any room and everybody just falls in love with him and he just will sit and tell stories to everyone all day and even now like you go Oakland, he's he's born and raised in Oakland, California and he um and if you go like hang out with him now, Oakland is changing. It's like a vastly changing landscape really really fast and there are new bars all over the place, but you can go to this new Oakland with him and every bartender knows who he is and like, you know, knows what drink he likes and and uh, is really excited when he comes in. He's like VIP access everywhere in Oakland. <laughs> Were they into music? But yes, my mom was a DJ uh in the in the late 70s, early 80s, so, um, yeah, and then my dad has always been really into music, so. How did they meet? At a club. My mom was DJing at a place. There's this bar in Berkeley called The Graduate, which uh, is, now it's totally, I mean, it's a college bar, right? It's called The Graduate. But um, it, uh, it ha used to have a, a basement area that apparently they don't use anymore, but that used to be one of the spots where she DJed at. And my mom's a, a little white lady from New Jersey, a little white Jewish lady. And apparently, as folklore goes, she was like playing the best black music in the Bay Area while she was spinning. So she like she would just have you know black folks lined up out the door to come see her spin at at, a, at the graduate, including your dad, there. including my dad, who yeah, who had gone a few times, I guess, and then apparently. Um, one time while she was DJing, went up and asked if she ever got to dance or if she just had to stay up there and spin records all day. And she put on the uh, extended version of Kano's I'm Ready, uh, which is a really great Canadian disco song. Awesome. And uh, which has like a 15 minute bridge on it. So she wow. threw that on and then they went and danced. And that's how they met. And he, was a, he is a bus driver or he was a he bus is. driver? No, at that time he was, I don't know if I can 
say what his profession was. What was your daddy? <laughs> My dad Non-prescription was a, pharmaceutical Yeah, salesman? yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, among other things. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, my dad was in pharmaceuticals and and a few other things, I think. But, you know, always sort of, he worked at the post office. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, although he does do still a bunch of, like, artist modeling. He's done, like, a fair amount of, like, nude modeling. Like, you'll go places and I'll, like, see a statue of a a bust or something or a back and be like, kind of, that's probably my dad. That is crazy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wait, are you serious? So, like, you'll walk around. Can you just give me an example? Because that is amazing. Well, no. Like, I, I mean, at, it's occasion. Like, so, I, I mean, he doesn't do it as much anymore. But one time, so, like, I forget which magazine. Some, like, big national artist magazine. Um, and someone's, someone was, like, it, I don't know where. It was at a doctor's office or something. Someone yeah. was, like, flipping through a copy of it. And there's my dad's face. Like, a painting of him. Uh that, yeah, like he, I don't know, a lot of like, a lot of Bay Area painters and sculptors have worked with him because he's done it for a long time and it's a relatively hot. small community. He's pretty hot. Um, and so. Because he's a stallion. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it was, you know, so sometimes you just. Yeah, I don't know. He's around. I was asking uh, mainly just to find out like how. You grew, grew up, if you grew up with music, if you grew up, and it sounds like you did. <laughs> yeah, definitely music everywhere. And actually a, a connection to theater, even though it's something that I never really thought about that much. But she, my mom was, um, before, well before she met my dad, when she was a teenager, was the lighting director of Berkeley Rep Theater. Oh, wow. When it was, like, just when it first started, the first lighting director in 1969, apparently. Um, and then ended up doing like sort of traveling to Europe and getting working lights on the the first tour of Fiddler on the Roof actually with with you know Zero Mustel and everything like she bananas yeah so my mom has sort of been a a theater person also even though she really wasn't in at any point that I knew her but she's always loved the theater and we always went to see plays and everything so I asked because it's like you were so focused from a relatively young age in these areas. Yeah. <laughs> so I was curious how you knew, even knew about them. Yeah, yeah. I guess the other thing is that they both have, um, particularly my father has so much experience working um, in jobs that he doesn't like. Yeah. You know, and so both of them, from a, a, as long as I can remember, have been like, figure out what you like and do that. Don't do things. You know, I've never been sort of pushed to. I mean, it was always like, can you please get your shit together? And like, stop, you need health insurance. You need to, you know, like <laughs> these things. Yeah. Like, But also always really encouraged to continue pursuing the things that I really enjoy um, as opposed to, I think a lot of kids end up feeling pressure to find a, a good job or a, a practical job or when that was, that was never in the equation because they, um, you know, my pops does not like driving a bus. He's still doing yeah. it, and it's very hard for him now that both of his, you know, me and my brother are both grown and sort of living our lives. And so now he's like, you know, the college is paid for, and he doesn't know why. He's not at retirement age yet, and it is the most stressful thing in the world to him, and he just does not have any good reason to keep going. So, you know, if I can make a whole lot of money before uh, before he hits retirement age, he can just stop. But, uh, uh, you know... And my mom, um, 
I think the same thing, you know, ended up figuring, finding a career that she really enjoyed and felt useful in, and that I think has been really important to her. Um, but it is interesting. I mean, I know my dad will work till the day he dies, um, but he loves what he does, like in mm-hmm. public policy. And yeah, yeah. Like, I do feel so much for your dad, and I'll, I'll probably, um, I just empathize so much because it's so hard now. Like, you know. Oh, man. When he was, you know, and he was the type, like, growing up, he would just, hard, but I, I, he would just bounce from job to job, and they never mattered, you know, it was always whatever, and he, he never, he, he wouldn't, you know, everything was always more important than work for him, so, like, you know, if he needed to take a day off because I wanted to go to a park, like, that was always what, you know, so he, I remember he worked at a rubber stamp factory for a while, he worked, like, driving trucks for this pottery merchant place, he, he's had, like, all kinds of just sort of odd jobs and pieced it together. But then when he started driving for San Francisco, in San Francisco for Muni, like there was a good job, there were benefits, and he was making enough money that he'd be able to help with, with me and my brother going to college. Um, and that was really important to him, so. What does your brother do now? He's uh, uh, like computers. He's a design, a software, not a software, well, a software and a web designer. Um, in Berkeley or? No, in, in anywhere. He recently bought himself a Prius and is just sort of driving around the country. <laughs> he freelances so he can sort of work on his own schedules like him and his pit bull just driving around. Why does he just <laughs> drive the pit bull? So it's him and his pit bull going around in this Prius together? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's his yeah. pit bull name? Jasmine. <laughs> and my brother's like, the sweetest it's, name. it's such a good, like, <laughs> Buddy comedy, you know, it's like Turner and Hooch. Like, my, and my brother's huge. My brother's like, you know, 220, like 6'2, six 6'3. Six like, What's he's a big dude. What's your brother's name? Uh, Malcolm so or Malcolm. Leslie or Deaver, depending on when you know him from. <laughs> Wait, I don't understand. How do you go from Malcolm to Leslie to Deaver? Uh, I gave him the name Deaver when he was born. He was four years old. He was born at home. My, you know, it was, the, it was 86. My, my mother was like, having You were her. four. I was four. Yeah. He was born at zero. I was four years old. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, that was a thing in the Bay Area in the 80s, like, you know, home birth, midwife, all, all that stuff. It's having a renaissance. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so my brother was, was born at home, and it was like a party at the house. Like, every, like, family and friends were all, like, hanging out in the house. My mom's in the bedroom giving birth, you know. And... Uh, my dad, I rem- this is probably my earliest memory, my dad asked me at that party what I was going to name him, all the- and all the men in my family have names that start with Ds on-, on my dad's side of the family, so he was like, you have to give him a name that starts with a D, and the first thing that popped into my head was Deaver, and that stuck. Uh, so that's what he was called, and you know, probably that's probably not the best of names for at certain points in your life, right? You probably get teased a lot for a name like Deaver. But- um, unlike Leslie. Leslie was the name on his birth certificate because that's his father's name. And for a while, he started going by that, um, like, on roll sheets and stuff. But he's not a big fan of his father, who um, sort of uninvolved and stuff. So eventually, he settled on the name Malcolm. So you started rapping when you were pretty young. You made your first album in high school? Yeah, yeah. I guess I was 16 or something. With this band, we had a band. It was me and a producer and and an instrumentalist. And we called ourselves Metaphor Play. Uh, which is a pretty dorky name for a rap group. But you're also young. You're also young. Um, and this is the height of... I mean, when I... I'm a, a little bit younger than you, excuse me, older. And um, <laughs> there was definitely a difference between East Coast and West Coast rap. <clears throat> yeah. 
Yeah, totally. There still is. Um, what is the difference? Can you describe it? Oh, man. Just like West Coast rap is really good. <laughs> okay, uh, that's no. <laughs> no, no. Um, no, I don't know. And East Coast and West Coast doesn't really apply anymore. It's super yeah. regional. You know what I'm saying? So like New yes. York is or should be different from from whatever Atlanta certainly which is also southern but is also on the east coast you know is different than Boston is different than completely I mean that was the same thing with with hip-hop certainly and like yeah it's always been a really regional if you look at like in loving in living color in loving color loving color that's how much I loved it but in (laughs) living color I mean that was like straight out of Brooklyn yeah yeah um yeah I I think it's I mean that's the best thing about rap music that I don't think is talked about enough by in on the academic side of it you know as rap becomes something that we talk about in public spaces or in um classrooms or whatever i feel like people tend to ignore how regional it is and that that's like you know to follow the story of rap if you're trying to like develop a a rap studies class or something (laughs) and you're trying to be a history class if you just look at this overarching history of like hits or or radio like hits on the radio you're missing the whole point because each region really developed separately it's only very recently thanks to the internet that like things have been able to bleed together the way that they are you know yeah i mean it'd be fascinating to see how it is now that borders is completely a different concept yeah. in the way that we live. Yeah, totally. Well, I'm in this band Clipping, right? And we are, this this was sort of the this sort of crystallized the age that we live in to me. Um, was the we we put an album out on Sub Pop Records last June. Congratulations. What was the name Thank of you. that? It's called CLPPNG. It's our name with no uh, I vowels in it. And I have a copy of it, and I just wanted to recommend people to go to where to get their copy. Oh, you know, any record store or iTunes, okay. <laughs> or the Sub Pop website. Okay, I'm sure you can get it from there if you don't if you don't like buying things from iTunes. Um, the okay. but we we're in the stores as far as I know. And um, but so you have this album clipping. Yeah, yeah. And the day that that came out, we played a show in Moscow. Um, due to like some scheduling conflicts we we played a show in moscow and uh, i just want to clarify that not in moscow yeah what's up that you weren't playing in moscow we were yeah russia yeah i thought you were playing at a bar called moscow no 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 in moscow in russia wait so you were playing in okay let's start this over (laughs) so you're in a band currently called clipping yes (laughs) you have a record called clipping yes and you were playing in Moscow, Russia. Yeah. This is last year. This is last year. When it came out, the when d- your album came out yeah. with Sub Pop Records. Yeah, exactly. And this is your first album on Sub Pop. Yes. Okay. Um, it's our second project. You can get the other one on Bandcamp at our website. It's called Mid City. What about the Giant? Oh, that's my that's my solo project. We'll okay. get to that. Um, but anyway, we're playing the show in Moscow and. Uh, all, the the day the album came out, you know, we, this is they had just gone on sale, and all of the kids there were, you know, it was a small space. There were maybe like 150, 200 kids packed into this little bar, and they all knew all the words to the songs. This was kind of the only like I couldn't talk to them; they didn't speak English, but they knew like verbatim the words to almost every song that we played. 
from an album that had just come out that day that they had all stolen from the internet months ago. You know what I'm saying? So like, that's how the internet works, which is awesome to me. It was great that we could play a show in Moscow and everybody would know the words. And none of them had bought the album and couldn't have. It was, it was impossible. And that's, that's crazy. That's why artists are doing things like with no public, public like Beyonce saying their albums right now, right? Where you just like put it out. Because as soon as you announce something, like some 14-year-old computer hacker can find it. And, uh, <laughs> and then it's no, in that it exists. I remember my cousin, when he was like 17, he, he broke into a bank. Like Donna, and I don't even think he intentionally was like, I'm a bank robber, like, but on the computer, he was just such a nerd. That he just, just, like, was just like, I bet in. I could do this, and then did it. <laughs> and then I was like, uh-oh, let me retrace my steps here. Yeah. <laughs> um, before my mom gets home. But, but um, that's awesome. And so yeah. do, you, do, you, do you have feelings on whether people should be paying for the records, whether they should be downloading things for free? Because you get records every Tuesday. I was curious, like, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I pay for it. I've, my take on it is, like, if you can afford to pay for it, you should. And if you can't, you should get it. I mean, I don't know. I would always rather people listen to the music than not, so... I, that's, I do love, like, you know, from Tribe Called Quest to Louis C.K., like, either you price it low or you say, like, how much can you pay? And right. then you chip in. And there have been some really successful projects yeah, on that front. totally. And they're, yeah, and they're... Yeah, this um, who's doing that? Nipsey Hussle, man, from Cal- from Compton is doing has his last two projects have been this awesome sort of proud to pay campaign where he prices them really high, um, like a hundred dollars a copy if you can afford it, but he also gives the album away. But if you but you can only buy it from him like in person, and then he'll sign it, and like you know you can buy T-shirts and all kinds of other stuff. And he's made really good money the last few years doing this. It's totally independent, so he's keeping most of the money for himself. So you know if you sell a thousand copies at a hundred dollars a copy, you made a hundred thousand dollars that year. Like that's it's awesome. <laughs> if anyone would like good. to donate to Employee of the Month, we can certainly do it. <laughs> Employee of the Month show. You can go to pay, PayPal. Um, but no, in, in all seriousness, I think that is really innovative and cool and also I just like that people are doing it directly. Why did you choose to go with Sub Pop? Uh, well, they found us and we, you know, what Sub Pop has given us is a kind of exposure that we would never have before. Um, and they're but, a sound company, it seems like. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. They're great people. They're really, um, you know, they, they let us make this totally weirdo record. I mean, they don't, there were absolutely no restrictions on us, and they gave us a, a budget to make it. So, like, this was... How much was your budget? It was not a lot. I'm not going to quote it. Uh, but under, it was, under six digits? Yes. Yes, it was under six digits. Um, under three digits? No. <laughs> uh, over four? Over four digits, yeah. Okay. Um, between four and six digits, so between, five digits. There you go. Okay, good. I got it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was... Um, but that was also not including like the marketing budget. You know, that was just for us to make our. Oh wow, album. that doesn't include everything. Yeah, okay. that was just that was just to make the project, and it allowed us to make this album that is exactly what we wanted to make. And Amazing. no, I mean, how who gets to do that? I don't know. And they if covered you, studio. Artist, like, and they covered studio. It, yeah, well, we you know we sort of got to decide how to spend the budget, and it was you know so we paid for our studio time and to get it you know mastered how we wanted. We went over budget, and they were like, it's okay. You know, uh, wow. so you went into the seven digit range. No, not not quite. <laughs> but the, yeah, they're a great company and really allowed us to make the thing that was exactly what we wanted, uh, even if, you know, 
in some cases it probably we would call with like the weirdest requests right we would say like we can we we need to buy this <laughs> we need to buy a chime tree and a bunch of dry ice like that's <laughs> like those are the kind of things we were asking for <laughs> initially you know <laughs> Um. <laughs> but that, for the sounds, for the particular yeah, yeah, sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, your own album, let's talk about that. Why did you choose to do a solo project? Because you really do collaborate with folks and collaborate with them for years on end. I do, really yeah. I mean, the solo project, actually, my friend Rafa, Rafael Casal, who um, is one of my other great collaborators, was sort of, he was working on an album, and I'd been working on songs, you know, and I'd sort of compiled things that I would give to my friends but didn't really put out in the world. And then he um, was working on an album. We have a collective called The Get Back, and he, you know, we were, he was like, we both got to release projects this year. This was 2012. And um, he... Uh, <clears throat> and, I, you know, I think partially just because he didn't want to do a thing by himself. Rafa really likes <laughs> not being alone to do things. <laughs> So I understand that. You know, so I was like, okay, yeah, we're going to do this. And um, or this was maybe 2011, and we didn't get them out till 2012. But I, I had songs that I've been working on for a long time, and I finally, you know, it took forever, but finally got recordings that I was sort of happy enough with, and we packaged this thing and put it up on Bandcamp, and people liked it, you know? people, The few people who have heard it, I think, I don't know how, there's like no way to know how many, I guess there are analytics, there's exactly ways to know how many people have heard that, but it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't anymore. always cross over, because I have listeners on SoundCloud and Stitcher and iTunes, and I, yeah. I don't think the numbers are completely accurate. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, it, I know a lot of times people like to think that they can compile your stats, but right. just as someone who was a previously like doing stats I think that that's not complete seems uh, yeah <laughs> it seems a little fudgy just because the crossover sometimes doesn't always happen as easily but right. I don't know well and then like the way we listen to music online is sort of different too right people will listen to one song or a part of a song or whatever and it's just sort of part of their 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 day and uh and I, as I certainly didn't make the project like that right like I put those songs together in that order for a reason and so yeah. <clears throat> which is because I'm a dinosaur and I, I still listen to albums and like care about how albums sound, you know. So I think that just means that you actually enjoy music, really. <laughs> maybe, but it, there are just I think there are multiple ways to enjoy music, and the internet is not always conducive to that particular one, right? It's uh, you know, it's a hard place to sit still on. Um, if streaming music is like actually seems to make it way easier to have, you know some algorithms choose what comes next for you or whatever than it yeah, is to actually just play a project straight through. Well, what's fascinating about you and I think um, a really special special quality is that you're able to curate what you want to listen to, but you're also somehow able to get new stuff too. Like, I think that that's the hard part is yeah. um, the self-curation. There's so much stuff I'd love to listen to I don't even know about. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, whereas, like, you've managed to stay on top of what you already know you're going to love and then sort of figure out what else is out there. And I, I don't really know yeah. how to do that now. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, it's like anything. When you do a thing, you are, you know, you always look for more of that. You probably listen to way more podcasts than I do. Yes, I yeah. listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So I wanted to hear about your new album. Um, sorry, your solo album. We didn't really get to talk about it. Um, with the one that exists, Small yeah. Things to a Giant. Yeah. Uh, it's just 
it was basically everything. It was every song that I had finished that I liked by by 2012, kind of, you know, sort of. Um, and it's a lot about Oakland and um, sort of the changing landscape. There's a fair amount of like gentrification stuff on there, but um, it features a lot of my really good friends and um, and I was I was really proud of it. It it took a long time. I told you this story, I think, um, about when I first started seriously recording. I was uh, working with a friend of mine, Wildman, who was producing. He was, you know, he was engineering all of the recordings. Um, and uh, we were, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a fast rapper at times. I rap really fast. And I had written this song uh, and we couldn't do it. We had done like hundreds of takes of this thing. And I thought I was nailing it, but Wildman's the kind of guy who would be like, that word's a little mumbly, do the whole verse again. You know, like, it was just, he was really, uh, I actually owe him a lot, I think, for, I'm, I'm, I'm good at those things now. I'm pretty, I'm pretty good in the studio, and I'm also good at, you know, it's helped me a lot in, in Hamilton. Like, I'm, I can, you know, whatever Lynn writes, I can do it. Um, and, uh, and that a lot of that was because he would just make me do things over and over and over again, was totally relentless about it. And we're working on this song that's incredibly fast, and we worked for like two days on it, and I never got a good take of it. Um, and we were sort of sitting down discussing like next steps, and I was like, maybe I just need to be a better rapper, you know? So we put it away, and I wrote, you know, 15 more songs or whatever, and we came back to it months later, and it just happened like that. And, it, you know, it was, that was <clears throat> the first time I really realized that this process of recording is, is a very separate thing from writing and uh, is a different skill, um, and they really do have to be worked on, you know. And I'm still, I'm, I, I still would like to be better at recording, I think, than I am. Like, there's what's involved there? Because I mean, I, I certainly know with writing that it's a process of editing and editing and editing. And yeah, editing. yeah. I think recording is is about, you know. Um, the technical ability with whatever you've written, of course, like being able to to maintain your vocal clarity and all that stuff, um, but also just getting across the the feeling of the song is a tough thing, you know. Um, just sort of like very minute changes in your in the quality of your voice or where you're speaking from can sort of drastically change the way that a song feels when you listen to it. So for me, it's really important to have like other people's ears around me when I'm, <clears throat> when I'm working on that kind of stuff. And I like to, if I'm doing final recordings, have engineers or friends in the studio that I really trust and who know what I'm trying to accomplish. Because for me, when I'm doing it, I'm so focused on just nailing it that it's hard for me to, to keep that, that bigger picture um, in mind and like a, a song is composed of so many more things than just the, the rap you know a rap song yeah. there's um, how your voice interacts with each of the instruments is so important um, and where you're breathing and where the drops come in if they feel really clean you know if every time you enter a new verse how clean does it feel what words are you going to double what you know are you going to ad lib but there's just so much to think about and all of them change the feel of the song as a whole you know so <clears throat> it's uh, yeah, it's definitely. It's almost like being a conductor too when you're. Yeah, it's it's just thankfully not in real time usually, so you get to do things over again and you get to do these small tweaks. We get to go back and fix one word of a of a verse if we need to, you know. Um, and so, clipping is your latest 
mm-hmm. album. And then I also wanted to ask, like, you're, not, you're acting a bunch. I know you were acting before, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, to, like, how do you manage... I know that's... that's but how do you manage all these different things? Because you you're going to have a show every night, so you have a di- night job. Yeah. And then during the day, you're just going to auditions all day? Yes, well, yes and no. I mean, what's the sort of nice thing about this show is that it's going to run for a while and I'm going to be contracted with it for a while, so I can't really audition for things. I can have a bunch of meetings, but nobody can work with me until that contract. I mean, unless unless they're shooting during the day. I can, and that'll come up, I I guess. I don't know. This is the first time I've ever had representation. Like, this is all very new to me, this kind of. um, And by representation, you mean people who are sending you out? Yeah, yeah, like agents and managers and. What else do you have? A publicist? I don't. Yes. A Zumba teacher? No. Your own private Zumba teacher? No, I really, I guess I just have an agent and a manager. You know, like a lot of people have Zumba teachers you should get. Yeah, I mm-hmm. actually know a great, he's not in New York, but I, I know a really good Zumba instructor. I want to like. He's in New Mexico, though, so that's not useful. I just want to like set up a rumor that like all these celebrities. <laughs> and so like suddenly that'll become a new profession. <laughs> Private Zumba. Private Zumba. Like, yeah, there's nothing Zumba great than like, yeah, like dance cardio alone. <laughs> just like <laughs> one-on-one. Damn. It's a good idea. Um, that's awesome. I'm really <laughs> excited to, to have had you on the show. And I, I was so happy to talk to you about the fact that like it takes work. Like all of these beautiful, beautiful gifts which is like having a talent and putting out these beautiful projects takes so much work yeah man it's crazy work and i don't know i think i stopped believing in talent a long time ago you know like that's not really a thing like you kind of some people are more predisposed to do a thing than others but like no matter what it is like you're just not really that good at it you just have to work on it it's just so much discipline involved like i think that the, the talent in the same way that if you come from like a loving home that gives you more incentive right, exactly. to do it, but um, because you're praised for it, if you're, I'm saying if you come from a loving home or school, you know, if someone's encouraging right. you, yeah. some kind of mentor, and then talent, if you're good at it, you're like, oh, I can do this, let me do it again. But, right. but that's right, that's the beginning. Yeah. And then everything else you think is discipline? Yeah, I or yeah, just the work at it. I mean, all of these people, you know, being exposed to this sort of Broadway world now and meeting all these incredibly talented singers and dancers and and actors and stuff, um, and then getting to actually interact with them and just look at how hard they everybody works on everything. You know, no, this isn't easy for anybody. No. Everybody is just working their asses off and uh, physically. Yeah, that, that's why I started out asking you about like. How do you stay not just awake but electric at that hour? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's a crazy thing. I mean, you know, night gigs are crazy. I think being like a performer of any sort. Um, well, I slow down. I mean, I do storytelling, which I love, and I do my show, and I'd be thrilled to do it every night. But you know, when I did stand up, you're doing like three, four shows a night. It's exhausting, yeah. Yeah. and then you do that seven times a week. It's crazy, and I'm so admiring of people who who do it. I can't imagine, man. Stand up is the hardest. Thing. I don't know. I remember. Uh, my I got so lonely on the road. I I took a, a this is like so 
crappy, but like I took a solo performance class in college and like the first day, like our, our first assignment, yeah, yeah. Our first assignment was to write like a like a five minute stand up routine, you know? And that is probably still the hardest thing I've ever done. I was so bad at it. it I, I think this so is great hard. because I think a lot of people think it's really hard to get into Brown University and it probably is. I don't think I could get in. But just to know that what once you actually get in, all you're doing is writing a five minute stand up routine. Like the, it's, it's just college, man. All colleges are the same. You should go to the one that you can afford with like, you know, the people that you like. That's my whole thing. You know, like yeah. it's. Um, honestly, the reason I was at Brown was because they made it cheaper for me than any of the UCs. Like they, you know, they had money to offer me. Like they wanted me to go there, and they because had, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I was running track, so like maybe, and I did the track team was recruiting me, but they don't give merit based scholarships, but they do do need blind admissions, which. Um, so yeah, so That's it, awesome. it ended up being like cheaper for me to go to Brown than it was for me to go to UCLA or UC Berkeley. Um, so yeah, I don't know. College is college. If you like, sort of like the way that they teach classes, like kids, if you're getting ready to go to college, like the, I don't think the name of the college for your undergraduate degree matters at all. No one has ever asked me what my degree is in. Yep. You know, it's like has never come up. So I think it's it's important if you already know what you want to do to go to a specific school that right. provides that. But I think for everyone else, you yeah. know, like I myself, I didn't have something that I was so good at at the time that I had to go do this. Um, well, I was really into psychology, but I mm. feel like, let me start that over. What I would say is like, if you have a skill that you're already you know, showing a love for, right. like if you're really good at art and you want to go to RISD or yeah, Boston yeah, yeah. Museum, so, you know, then you know you want to go to an art school. Totally. The only limitation and sadness to me there is that that person may not know that they were actually going to be a really good software designer. Right, right. You know, and then they never got to take a course in that. It's true. But you'll find that out eventually. I don't know. You know, it's weird that we put so much stock on those four years from when you're like 18 to 22. Totally. Like, I didn't know anything when I graduated college. I wish we could go after. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. I think it should be the retirement. Like, when your dad retires, he totally. should be able to get to go to college. Totally. That's exactly right, actually. Because it's such a luxury. I know. It's such a playground. Oh, you just hang out. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on the next live show as the MC. Hey. And, um, <laughs> I'm also just really proud of you, and I love your music, so I, I want to make sure uh -oh. that people check it out. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Davy Diggs, Mr. Diggs. So what did you think? Ah, uh, it's really my favorite podcast since the last one. <gasps> I thought it was a fascinating episode. I want to thank all of you for listening. I really want to thank Jelly D and Ian Mazoff for enabling this podcast to happen. And I am going to do a shout out to all of you to please give if you can. There are several ways to give. You can donate money. You can also write nice things about us on iTunes and on SoundCloud or however it is you listen to this podcast because those things help because in order for us to continue this labor of love, we're going to need a little more support, but I do also want to just say thank you to all of you who have been giving. It's been fantastic to have you along for the ride. And we have a whole new season coming up. Joe's Pop, we're going to be there monthly. So check out employeeofthemonthshow.com to find out more. And I think that's it. I think everyone else should just enjoy their day. Yeah, yeah. Get out of here, guys. Yeah. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. <laughs>